All right. Well, we're back for Country Drive. We appreciate everybody being here. And I am honored to introduce our guest for the day, Rafe Van Hoy. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks uh, for having me. A recent Hall of Famer. That's right. Has a nice ring to it. It's pretty nice. You know, I'm going to, I've told everybody that um, I'm going to try my best not to be the first person that actually gets kicked out of the Hall of Fame because it could happen. Uh, so, as a songwriter who has a long, um, remarkable career, and we'll talk about some of those uh, achievements soon, what does that moment mean for you? You know, there, there, I've got actually, since my last, Last time I moved, I haven't unpacked everything, so I've got boxes of awards, and none of them are on the wall yet, so I haven't gotten to them, and don't, I don't know where I'd put them anyway, but um, I like awards, but they, you know, they're just awards, mm -hmm. but this was something that I, I really was hoping for, you know, I wasn't betting money on it or thinking, oh, I deserve that or something, but I was just hoping someday I'd, you know, get in there, so... I'd have my name on a on a brick out the front so people could walk by and go, hey, if you move that homeless person, we can see who's on there. But I honestly don't know, but I imagine is the Songwriters Hall of Fame voted on by the current members? Yeah, it it's um I'm not totally sure uh clear on how it happens. Uh there are I think there's there are members that vote people in. I don't know if it's everybody. It's just some some group of people that they nominate on the, I guess, nominating committee or voting committee or whatever. I'm not sure how it works. Some of the voting used to be uh, they'd send it out on an email and all the members would vote on it. But that's, I think that's when it was under NSAI, mm -hmm. and now they're separated. Okay. So it's a different, I think it's a little bit different format than it used to be. I got you. Um, but I do know that there's a lot more people that could qualify to be in or by their standards because it has to be so many years you've done this and there's a 20-year one and a 30-year one and a whatever. Um, but I know there's a lot more people that probably should be in there than they allow in every year. So yeah. I'm glad I got snuck through the cracks. Well, um, let's see the class that he went in with. We'll put this up on screen. But looks like we got Keith Irvin, Kix Brooks, mm. and then that's uh, Beathard, Casey Beathard? Yeah, Bethard. Bethard. Yeah, Casey Bethard. Uh, and the man, David Lee Murphy, yep. and then the man of the hour in the middle, Rafe. Yeah. What the a guy, hell of a class. The guy with the washed out face there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was, uh, yeah, it was a good, great uh, bunch of people to be inducted with, that's for sure, because I've known Kix. Almost my whole adult life. Well, you and Kix have written a lot of uh, good songs together. Yeah, we've written a bunch. And, and when I met Kix, he was in town to be a songwriter and and an artist, but he is just start was just starting off as a writer. And uh, he and I actually wrote a song that was his first number one record. Oh, really? Yeah, called uh, "I'm Only in It for the Love." That was a uh, John Conley wow. uh, number one record. And Keith um, Urban, I met. In 1993, on my first trip to Australia. Really? Yeah. Oddly enough, I was um, hired to go produce a guy named James Blundell, hmm. who was a big star in kind of a country sort of star in uh, Australia at the time. And um, when I was there, I met uh, 
this girl named Tanya Smith, who's now my wife, mm-hmm. uh, who was a keyboard player in this super, like, amazing cover band. And uh, she was one of the local musicians that played on a lot of stuff and a lot of bands. And she had done world tours with Kylie Minogue and, and some different people. Anyway, I was at one of her gigs one Sunday night uh, with her band, and Keith was there, and she introduced me to Keith because they knew each other. Wow. And he was in a rock band then. I don't think he, I don't think that at that point he had thought about moving to Nashville or doing country. That's stuff. amazing. Yeah. I heard Kix Brooks uh, one time doing an interview with Tony Brown, and they were raving about you as a writer. Oh, really? Yeah, well, that's nice. So it's always good to get recognition. big compliments from those guys. Yeah. Well, um, I do want to ask you, how'd you get your start as a songwriter? Um, I became a songwriter because of my dad. I mean, specifically and solely because of him. Um, I started playing guitar when I was 10 years old. My grandmother gave me a guitar that her daughter, my aunt, gave her. And every time I go over to her house, I'd play it. And uh, and I'd ask, can I, can I look at your guitar? Yeah. So I just loved it, fell in love with it. And after about the third time of being at her house playing with it, she said, uh, Will you, uh, would you like to have that guitar? I went, yeah, but... That's your guitar, you know. She says, well, if you promise to play it, I'll let you have it. So I took it home, and I just, I mean, it, I slept with it. I, I went everywhere I went every single day. It was wow. like an extension of my body, and I did nothing but play that guitar for like three or four years. And so uh, I started getting fairly proficient with it. And then when I was 15, my dad told me that I should start writing songs. And I believed him. But I, I didn't start writing songs, you know. And uh, he said, now, it's where it's going. Everybody's writing their own songs now. And so, yeah, okay, okay. Uh, and then when I didn't write any songs, he would write complete lyrics out, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, whatever, title, everything finished. Just hand them to me, go put some music to that. And so that's how I became a songwriter, just co-writing with him. Wow. It's like he, he knew what I should have been doing, and then when I didn't do it, he just kind of made me do it anyway or got me into it. Was this all happening in Bristol, Tennessee? Yep. So you're from the same place, the birthplace of country music. Yep. It's pretty amazing. The yeah. big bang for country, I should say. Yeah, and you know, I, I had heard about all that when I was growing up there, but not much was talked about it, you know? And it wasn't known as the birthplace of country music. It was just that some of the first recordings. Recordings, I guess there, what you, you know, say. From Ralph Peer came down from... Yeah, from uh, New York and recorded the Carter family and a bunch of Jimmy Rogers and some people in the Bristol Hotel. And so we knew kind of about that, but I don't think anybody researched it enough to even find the recordings and all that stuff. Really? Yeah. So I thought they have like a museum now. They do now. It's a kind of a, it's a really nice museum. And But it wasn't there when you were growing up. No. In fact, yeah, not many people. Some people, I guess, knew about it, but... At that point, when I was growing up, the only famous person that was from Bristol was Tennessee Ernie Ford. Hmm. And then later on, when I got to be a teenager, Dave Loggins, he, he got a record deal and moved in, or moved to Nashville, I guess, and had his hit as an artist, you know, Please Come to Boston and, and some other ones. Yeah. And um, I love Coe's version of that. Yeah. It's a great one. Yeah. Well, speaking of great songs, let's ask you about some of yours. Uh, in 75, you write Golden Ring for George Jones and Tammy Wynette. 
And I want to ask you about writing that song and what it meant to have a cut with two legends and the success of the song. Well, it was a it was an amazing thing. I'd I'd you know, I started off when uh, when when I moved to Nashville. I moved my parents moved to help me be in the music business, so I wouldn't have to have a job. So my brother was going to Vanderbilt. So my stint, my college years were spent on Music Row. And so when I when I woke up every day, I drove down to Music Row, and that was my school, was to learn how to write songs. Wow. And so um, two months after I got to Nashville, Curly Putman signed me to his publishing company. But the songs that I played him, that me and my dad had written, they, you know, they they were um, they were not commercial. You know, there's no none of those songs are probably ever going to get recorded. So, but he saw some promise, I guess, and and signed me to a deal, which gave me a lot of encouragement. It basically said, it's like an apprenticeship. Just come here, show up, write with my writers, learn how to write songs. And that's what I did every every day. So, uh, um, you know, through him, I started meeting other writers and other people. And Bobby Braddock was one of his best friends and wrote it, Tree, publishing also. And they had written D-I-V-O-R-C-E and some other Songs and Curly have written some huge hits, Green Green Grass at Home and My Elusive Dreams and all these things. And Bobby had had a bunch of hits also. I had every year that went by, I got a little bit more activity, you know, a few cuts here and there. And I wanted to be a session player too. So I started playing on demos as a guitarist and then getting a few more cuts here. And so by the time Golden Ring had come around, I had had three you know, decent chart records that went like 30, 30, 25, something like that, but no big hits. And um, Golden Ring was the thing that kind of, you know, became such a big hit so immediately, you know, out of the box. It put me on the map as a song. How old were you when you wrote that song? I was 21. I figured you must be very, very young when you wrote it, and you're already wrote, writing with the likes of Braddock. Yeah, well, that was just a good. I, I made friends with Bobby. Yeah, and we were we were becoming buddies, and he he actually lived out close to Bellevue, where it's where me and my parents lived. So we became friends and um, hanging out and stuff. And he he just came to the publishing company one day with this idea to write for George and Tammy because he knew they were recording the next week. I didn't know they were. I had no clue. And um, he had an idea that he wanted to write specifically for them. And the title was Golden Ring. He wanted to write about a ring. And um, he was going to meet Curly there to finish the song. And Curly lived in Lebanon. And he just didn't feel like driving in that day. He told Bobby, I I don't think I'm coming in today. So Bobby looked at me and said, Curly's not coming in today. You want to help me finish the song? I went, yeah, sure. Wow. And it was like life-changing day. I'll take you down memory lane here. Um, if you want to zoom in on that for me, Joey, that's the billboard chart where you wow. hit number one. Wow. That's where'd you find that? It's on the internet. I can show you. I, I I have a weird habit of going back and reading old billboards. Really? And you can find any old billboard. I any, would like to find some old charts that I, yeah. I don't know where to look them up. Uh, you can find old R and uh R and R's, yeah, and then a couple of the uh, get, sound, sound something. There's sound scan. Well, uh, I'll show you. Oh after. no, there's uh, there used to be K 
cash box. Yes, you can show the, you can find you those. You can also. find those too. I'll show you. I'm in on it good because okay. uh, cash box, record world, and billboard were the three charts. Yeah. Okay. And so people used to say, if you had a number one in any of them, you had a number one record. And quite often, you know, you'd have a number one in Cashbox or Record World, but it would be number two in Billboard, something mm -hmm. like that, you know, because Billboard wanted to be the holdout or something, whatever. <clears throat> but back in the day when there were three charts, I had, I had uh, 16 number one records. But then when Cashbox and Record World went away, and you and I couldn't find their database online. All I could find was Billboard. Suddenly, I got busted down to ten number ones, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to send you a link. Okay, great. Uh, let me ask you this: with your writing process, uh, yeah. what is your writing process? Do you do you believe in the muse, or tell me about your writing process? You know, it's kind of changed over the years. Um, basically, I just try to get the best ideas, you know, to write the song about. Um, and in the beginning, since I was, I felt like I was more of a musician than I was a lyricist or an idea person, I um, came at it from a musical standpoint. But after a few years of doing that, you know, one of the things that a lot of songwriters learn is how to write a song backwards. And that is you come up with the title and the hook first and something that's worthy that you think, oh, I can build a really good and you got an idea of a story you put behind it that makes it meaningful. Then when you start with that, then you write the line in front of that that sets that up that makes the most, and then the line in front of that that sets that up. It's like writing a joke backwards. You kind of know where you're heading. You know where, you, yeah, you don't paint yourself in the corner because you're starting from the corner mm -hmm. working out. Mm -hmm. And that way, if you build every line in front of that to set the next one up, when you play it in forward sequence, it's like, oh, wow, how do you think of that? So, well... Because you thought of the last one first, you know, and I think jokes are a lot of the same way. You might think of a funny punchline, so you build a joke around it to where it sets up the punchline, yeah. you know? Yeah. So um, I'm not saying every song is that way, but that's it's mostly that approach. And so now I just think of ideas. Ideas come to me, and, and I've got a phone full of them. And I was going to ask, yeah. do you do voice memo? I do. So now you just kind of jot it down. I put it in no I've got like I've and I don't know what's happening. You know how um, a light bulb the in the old days of incandescent light bulbs, mm -hmm. they burn brightest right before they burn out. Mm -hmm. Or a tube and an amplifier sounds the best right before it blows up. I think that's what's going on with my brain. It's <laughs> like it's working really good right before it dies, you know, like our car engine. Man, that thing was running great till it threw a piston. So um that's what I kind of feel like is going on now. I'm getting more ideas than I've ever had. I've always had more ideas than I could write, but I'm, there's a lot of them coming up for some reason. Well, since you mentioned <clears throat> that, I'm going to be very, forgive me for the people that are listening, I'm going to be a little discreet about this, but uh, you have a number one in your back pocket right now. I, I got to see Rafe perform in twice in the last four months, and at the first showcase, I'm not going to give anything away, but you played a hit. Okay. You know, do you remember playing it? Was it uh, the the brotherly love? Okay, I know. I know how to. Yeah. Tell, I know how to tell you. Is that the, the one? You have the vision for the house and the dark yeah, night yeah. driving up. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. the best way for well, me we to can, tell you. You can mention it. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's absolutely going to be a number one hit if we if you find the right artist. I hope it. so. Well, you know, it's kind of a funny song. So. 
people, there used to be people that always did, you know what I mean? There were a certain amount of artists that would record songs with a funny twist to them. Yeah. Like Brad Paisley, you know, he's had a lot of checking on a checky for ticks and all that. Yeah. I love those songs. And there were there were always two or three a year, seemed like somebody had out and they they've all gotten too serious or something now. There's not too many people well, that's, doing those kind of songs anymore. Well, it's going through this woke lens that I don't really necessarily appreciate that falling into music. Do you remember when Girl Crush came out? Yeah. And a lot of radio stations wouldn't play it. Because, well, because they misinterpreted that song right. as being lesbian. Right. It was crazy, but I was sitting there thinking about that song when you played it. And I'm like, I wonder if they would misunderstand this one. But they even, might. But even that would give it the Streisand effect to make it even bigger. Well, maybe. <laughs> yeah, when I first heard Girl Crush, I went, what a great song. Oh. What an amazing. It's one of the best. Thought twist. Yeah. Yes. Great. Such a great song. And just like everything else, they had to put controversy on it. Yeah. But it yeah. was a beautiful song. Exactly. I love how that one's written. Yeah. I want to ask you something, since we kind of talked <clears throat> about the progression of songwriting and use of technology. A friend of mine uh, who I had on this show is a man that I love, Jim McBride. Oh, yeah. He's so great. Yeah. So you know Jim? I love Jim. Yeah, yeah. really well. He's, he was friends with Curly. Yes. Back in the day, and that's how I met Jim. He was, he was a wonderful guy. I hear Roger and Jim mention Curly all the time. Mm -hmm. I wasn't aware of Curly's as, as much as, you know, they were. So yeah. they've always spoken highly of him. But Jim posted something the other day on the internet, and I wanted to ask you about this. He has... You know, he wrote Waylon's last number one, Rose in Paradise. Okay. And now there's an Elvis AI version of it out there. Right. It's absolute crap. I'm I not... think I saw his post. I can't oh, remember what it said, but yeah, yeah. I haven't heard the, that version of so it. So the only reason I bring it up, I want to ask you as a songwriter, you know, we've seen songwriters getting squeezed with Spotify mm -hmm. and streaming, and now it's going to be outright theft yep. with, with AI just taking someone like Jim's song. Yeah. You know... I kind of look at it from the songwriter's perspective because even for the artists, they're out there, you know, obviously not in the case of Elvis and Waylon, God rest their souls, yeah. but the two artists are out there touring. They have alternative revenue streams. But when you look at songwriters getting mm -hmm. squeezed and now AI just absolutely taking their art. Right. I wanted to ask you your opinion on on this entire situation and where you see it's going. Well, you know, in that sense, I think AI is actually stealing the artist more than it is the song because if they recognize the song, it might still get a royalty uh, for that for that song, but the artist wouldn't get a royalty, right? But and the majority of streaming royalties is for the artist, too. Okay, but but uh, but I agree that this uh, the thing uh, I've used AI, AI or not used it, played with it to see how it could write songs. Just in the past year, have you have you done any of that? We've done it three times on this podcast it's with other. Unbelievable! Song. Are you talking about ChatGPT? Yeah, or, or AI. ChatGPT. Yeah, yeah. Pull it up. I've thrown. Go ahead. I've Go given ahead. it titles and then just hit repeat like four or five times and watch it write a new song every eight seconds. You know, what? and I'm thinking, well, there's content about that that you know that maybe you need to add to it to make it a little bit better. But you could certainly do that and cherry pick the best of certain pieces. And if it's not a country song for this country format, if it's a pop song where people don't necessarily look to the lyric to have as much meaning and depth and stuff, it just has to sound good along with the music sometimes, um, you could certainly use that. In fact, they probably, probably already are. 
I wonder, know. is it not pulling up? I have to sign in. I'm making a fake birthday for you. <laughs> you know, I, I have. I, I want to see how you. Pro- so, so Joey and I have had all these debates on here with yeah. other songwriters present. Yeah, and I love hearing you guys talk about it. Joey is a big fan of it. Yeah, I want, but he's ta- he's taught me like how you prompt it is really how it works. Right. So I want to ask you, how do you prompt it? Well, when, when I, you're just trying to generate an idea. I just did real basic stuff. I I just threw a couple titles in there. Um, and I was careful about, I don't want to put my favorite, some of my unwritten titles, because once you put it on the internet, man, yeah, it's out, it's there. out there and they know it, mm-hmm. you know, it's in their database, but <clears throat> I have kind of a fatalistic view of AI for the music business and it. I hope it doesn't come true, but you know, I, I do a lot of production and, and engineering mm-hmm. and, you know working Logic and like everybody else, have their own studio and stuff. I've got over 700 plugins, and yeah, I'm all pretty deep into it. Yeah. So I've seen what it can do. Um, and seeing what that can do with, with lyrics and so forth, they have all new um, plugins for sale now. If you can't write a melody, if you can't write a chord progression, if you can't write a beat, just shoots There's out. all kinds of programs that will do that for you. So if you take it to its ultimate, you know, extreme, you don't have to think too hard to imagine a time where people will have an app on their phone, one of several available, and you just say, um, I want to hear music that's a cross between blah, 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 give them two or three artists give them the style of song, the style of record, the production style, the sound, and give it some some suggestions, and it'll write, produce, and sing the entire record on your phone. And then you've got humans out there who are doing this, comparing what they their app came up with compared to other people. So people are comparing their own records that they made on their phone, but they can't write a song and they can't play an instrument. Or write a song, you know. So, um, do you think it's going to ruin creativity? I think what'll happen is it'll take a bite out of it, and then people will get bored with it after a while, and then some of it may actually get to be successful, but then nobody gets paid because it all came from that. And it says on there, if you ask Chat GPT, it says that AI cannot own a copyright. Oh, really? Because it's not a person, but. Chat GPT is owned by Alphabet, right? Mm-hmm. They could own it, but it sounds to me like if you had an uh, if you had any creative content that 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 people are using that for, you couldn't really copyright it yourself because you didn't come up with it. Google bought Chat GPT. Isn't that who owns it? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. So, so I guess at some point, if you if you had an app on your phone in the future that made your own record with your own artist and your own singer that sounded like a combination of different artists or whatever, and it generated the whole thing, and if it went viral somehow and you had a hit, I don't think you can make any money off of it. Wow. Right? Because you wouldn't own it. Uh, and that at that point, Google might step in and go, no, wait a minute, you can't copyright this because our engine created that. So there might be a limit as to 
It might be like a novelty thing that wears off after a while. Well, you just made me feel so much better about it because of that. Because uh, <laughs> people then, won't be able to use it for their own monetary Well, game. I don't think they could. I don't see how they could. It looks to me like they could get busted for that. But but people will still, you know, pay 250 bucks to see Kenny Chesney for 90 minutes. Right. Or two hours or three hours or whatever, you know? <laughs> what, did, what did you find, Joey? Did you uh, put one of, one of his song titles? Yeah, I put uh, Golden Ring. Okay. How was it, what's it what's say? So, so what I did was uh, write a modern version of Golden Ring. Jordan's Tammy write it as a Grammy award-winning songwriter. You got to I like you got to get in the specifics of how. Right. The more specifics you give it. The so better, if you right? want to read the chorus and like a verse or something. Oh, Golden Bands. Yeah, it changed the title to Golden Bands. Right. When I didn't. Okay. Put it as that. Golden Band. You gonna read it? Yeah, yeah. To Golden <laughs> Bands shining bright, symbols of love, in the darkest night. Through the highs and lows, they'll always hold tight. Golden bands, their love's guiding light. That's chorus. Wow. They then, did this. To that's rock. not bad. And you know what? There's not one mention of Gilligan's Island. <laughs> <laughs> they did this. They did this with Roger Murrow when we did it with Roger. Uh, we put where corn don't grow, and they didn't even put that in the hook or yeah. in the or in the chorus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The specifics of like what you say really matter. Cause like Whoa, 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 whoa. Look at the first line of verse two. Yeah, not, yeah. In a digital age. In a digital age. Where connections are fast. Where connections are fast. Their love's like an old song, destined to last. Through text and emojis, that's bad. Every time I read, every time I read these things, uh, you know, output for songs that have already been had and made, it always makes me go, okay, the original writer wrote it a lot better. Well, but you know what I'm seeing is that there are things that come out of that that could that lines that could be a completely different song, you know, yeah, or give you a give you a seed of a brand new yeah, song. It could give you, you just have thought inspiration of or just like a, a little idea, or you could even refine this. Like I could type in, do it the same way, but don't mention like emojis mm-hmm. and right. the digital age yeah. type stuff, and it'll just refine it and rewrite it. Right. So like, don't mention digital. Like sometimes I'll just yeah, if you just say same. Again, without the word emojis or something like that, it seems to understand it. I, I don't. I don't know exactly the right way to. Yeah, it's very it. very odd. Yeah, but it works. It works a lot of times. It's amazing. Well, let me ask you also. Um, so let's let's point out another song. So you've had hits in the '70s, then you had the '80s. You had "What's Forever For," mm-hmm. which is one of the most beautiful songs sung by I know uh, I Michael, call him Michael Murphy. Yeah. Uh, but also Ann Murray, who is a, a woman that was always blaring in my house growing up. Yeah, I loved her voice. I always still do. And I, I wonder just how that felt to continuously be growing through the 80s. Just felt really, really fortunate. You yeah. Know, like, I know this is this is could end after this year, you know, but it just kept going. So it's just really like I actually wrote what's her before the same year I wrote uh, Golden Rain with Bobby. Oh, really? So it didn't get cut until later. It just later. hadn't gotten recorded. You know, the, the one with Bobby was just like, you know, like I, I call it like winning the song lottery. It's like all the stars lined up. We wrote the song like in the middle of the week. The next week it was recorded and it was released a couple weeks later after that. I mean, they recorded it and put it out like immediately. Like wow. they used to do that back then. Like if there was a a certain world or political event back in the day, 
I remember when they used to go and record a song, write a song and record it that night, all night long about that event. It would be out the next day. Wow. And I guess you can do that now since the internet. But Kind of like the We Are the World? I, yeah, I guess. But they, but, uh, you know, because of that, Golden Ring came out the week after, was recorded the week after we wrote it and came out a couple weeks later. And four months from the day we wrote it, it was number one. And when did you start producing? Um, I kind of always wanted to, I think, but I started started with demos like a lot of people do because you're you're with a band and you're in the studio and you're and you're making demos and it's kind of the same process but you know not as serious and not spending as much money and all that stuff. Did it did did you feel the bite of the bug for the producing like you did songwriting? Did it open up a whole new creative outlet for you? Yeah, actually, when when I when I um. Uh, I had a record deal for about five minutes uh, on MCA Records and um, with uh, Don Gant and Ron Chancey producing. It was, I didn't really need to be an artist. And I thought I did. I had the desire more than I had the, mm -hmm. the, I hadn't done my, I just didn't, I hadn't developed enough to be an artist, you know, material wise and all that stuff. So it was just a desire. But I realized after doing my first one that I need, I like making music, you know. So um, the process of, of writing a song and recording it and production, all that stuff, that's what I enjoy. Mm -hmm. And then when once I'm done with that, I don't have this big hankering to go out on the road and tour and play it. I'm ready to go make another record or something, right. you know. So. so some of your big productions have been, let's see, I don't have to be mean till Monday. Um, writer and writer and producer. Yes. Well, I'm not listed as a writer on that. Uh, there were three writers on that song um, already. I I changed about seven lines in it that needed some help. So you're an editor. <laughs> I was an editor. I actually asked for a little piece. Like if, I thought, well, if there's three writers. If they each gave me uh, three and a third percent, they'd still all get thirty percent. Mm -hmm. And I'd have ten percent, and I'd feel like that was kind of worth what I did on it. But my request fell on deaf ears, so that didn't happen. <laughs> but well, producer, uh, you were the producer on it, though. Yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, the what happened was um, I was making a record on my wife with her band from Australia. Okay, and they're really, really just incredible drummer and guitar player Dan Harrison and um, Luke Mason and some of the best players I've ever worked with. But her stuff is totally pop rock. You know, had, wasn't anywhere close to what was going on in the country music uh, then. And so we were in the middle of doing, they were in town for about three months and we were working on that. And my manager at the time, Bert Stein, one of my best friends, was also Steve Azar's manager. Mm-hmm. And Steve and I, he said, well, he suggested we get, get together to write. And we just hit it off really big, and we started writing a bunch of songs and really happy with what we had written. Pretty soon we had about eight or nine songs, you know, and some of them sounded like they could be radio songs to me. And and so Bert said, uh, why don't you guys do a demo of three songs? I got, I got a budget for you if you want to cut three songs on Steve. I said, okay, and I had a studio in my house. So 
I went home and asked the guys who were in the middle of this pop project, pop rock project we were doing. I said, uh, how would you guys like to be a country band for about three or four days? They went, mate, we don't know the first thing about it. And I went, that's perfect, because I don't want it to sound like a typical country right. record. That you could know? be great. In fact, I kind of, there was some steel guitar on it, but I tried to use lap steel wherever I could. We used B3 organ, which nobody had really used that much on Imagine. country records. Then now it's on all of them. We just tried to kind of make move it more to where I thought it was going. And uh, we, we recorded five songs instead of three in like two days, three days. And that wound up being half of his first album. Yeah, he was an awesome, he was an awesome guy. Yeah. You are an art artist. Uh, you also have, I think we talked a little bit about this earlier with your sense of humor. You have really awesome songs that poke fun. Old Flames Have New Names. That was one of my favorite no. songs from the 90, I think, uh -huh. 90, Mark Chestnut 92-ish. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. I want to ask you about writing that song. Well, first of all, Bobby Braddock could be a comedy writer. He, his brain is, like, really fast on all that sort of stuff. Like, it's like Robin Williams, Roger Miller, fast with funny stuff. You know, he's a really funny guy. And uh, so we were always making jokes and funny ideas and stuff. And so I had that title. Um, all My Old Flames Have New Names that I was in the middle of, of producing in the studio at the time. And it was every day. I couldn't stop. But uh, I was talking to Bobby about something. I said, hey, I got this song title that I think we could have some fun with. And now I look back at it, it's kind of similar to our, our friend Whitey Schaefer's song, All My Exes Live in oh, Texas. Yeah. So sorry, Whitey. I guess we kind of ripped you off there without meaning to. Well, it's just a, it's like a, <laughs> it's, man, it's man, a man in the bar song. It's a exactly. common theme. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, I did read that you and him, and I think you just said this, wrote it over the phone? Yeah. So I'm working in the studio, and I, and Bobby, I left a message for Bobby. He calls me back, and I tell him the title. He goes, he goes, okay, well, let me leave me with it, and blah, 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 and then hung up the phone. I just thought, oh, it'll be something we'll work on, you know, down the road somewhere. And he calls back in about three days, and he goes, hey, you want to hear what I got on that idea? I went, yeah, that's fast, you know. And so he plays me the verse and the chorus. He's written the whole verse and chorus of the thing, you know, and I, and it was great. and. um so we just started making a joke about what we could do with the second verse as we, we could come up with all these funny names mm -hmm. for all of his ex-girlfriends and stuff. You know? So that's definitely got the all, all my exes feel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's, we, we just basically wrote the second verse on the phone. It, they play it all the time on this new radio station, Y'all 106.7. Really? Have you listened to that radio no, station? No, that's a good title for a yeah. radio station. So Y'all 106.7 is the greatest uh, radio station in, in Nashville right now. For, cool. For my taste. Okay. Everything you want to hear that you've ever written, okay. or Roger, or Jim McBride, mm -hmm. or the stuff that's been produced by Tony, it's all 70s, 80s, 90s. Wow. Yeah. Cool. And I should mention, uh, talking about Bobby Braddock, you said he's a funny guy. He's been writing for so long in some of the greatest. I mean, we can talk about He Stopped Loving Her Today. Yeah. But he is, all, for talking about sense of humor, he wrote People Are Crazy. That's right. 
That's yeah. one of the greatest country yeah. songs ever in my opinion. Yeah. And there's a bunch of songs from from the way back in the past uh, that George, he's, he's had 28 George Jones cuts. And uh, one of them was, I think George and Tammy recorded uh, something to brag about in you. And uh, was that them? Or uh, and uh, there was another one, a funny, funny one that he wrote that's that are hilarious songs. They're really, really funny. I mean, I know it's a serious subject, but D I V O R C E is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, just, just the way it's written. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's a, a brilliant idea. It's a serious topic that's kind of presented in a sweet way. I that's should right. Say. Yeah, it's probably the better way to say it. Yeah. So when you're so you say you still have Logic and all the plugins at home when you're mixing or matching as a session guitarist. Because you have worked as a session guitarist, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you have a favorite lane, or do you kind of have? Do you enjoy having the ability to transfer from one thing to the next as a producer, as a session musician, as a songwriter? I, I like it all because it kind of breaks it up. Writing is a lot of fun. Uh, late night thinking, you know. I when I used to drink more, I used to call it drinking and thinking, you know. And um, I don't drink so much anymore, but I don't have a problem with it. But yeah. You know, I just not in that mode right now. But uh, yeah, thinking of song ideas is great. It's a lot of fun. But then making the tapes are, are really fun to me. Like recording has gotten to be used to be always really a challenge. Like see if I could do this. See if I could do that. See if I could make this sound like that. And I've had studios in my house all my life. So all ranges of whatever format everybody was recording it at any given time from old two-inch machines and big consoles to and racks and racks of gear to now UA Apollo a Mac. Desk. That's yeah. it. That's it. And uh so but I learned from the old school guys that showed me how all the real gear works. Yeah. So I know how to use the plugins. But I I like bouncing around on it. Sometimes I get so backlogged on recording um, that it's kind of like mowing the yard. You think about it, yeah, I don't want to do it. But once you start, you don't want to stop. You know what I mean? Oh, so, yeah. so the same thing with recording. But once you get into it and you start, it starts sounding good and you get excited again about it and I love learning it. it. I have a UA Apollo at home and yeah. learning mic placement and then just capturing that one and then putting on a Studer tape machine and getting the right saturation. It yeah. just, it'll, it'll hook you and you'll be there for hours. Endless tweaking. Unreal. That's exactly you know, right. Like I remember years ago, I started making drum samples before it was a thing. Yeah. And um, I would spend hours just looking for the right snare. I know. And the right kick drum and the right combination of kick drums and then compressing this a little bit more, a little bit of EQ. I've got a, a little bit of reverb and yeah. bring it down. It, it's it's yeah. It's, it's like you can lose almost, your life in there, you just disappear. I've had it for sun's coming up, didn't yeah. even realize it. Yeah. Uh so we also want to ask you about your range. And Joey is a rap producer, so I'm going to let him bring in this question. Okay. So how did you get involved with I'm a Thug by Trick Daddy? <laughs> I'd like to say that I initiated that and had more to do with it, mm -hmm. you know, because people used to say, what kind of songs do you write? I go, well, I don't think I've written a polka, and I don't do, I haven't written any rap songs. But that actually happened uh, with nothing to do with me as a sample mm -hmm. uh, years ago 
there was, uh, and she's still still around and still she may may still be performing. Uh, an artist named Millie Jackson, mm-hmm. who's an incredible singer, and um, her producer was a guy named Brad Shapiro, and he used to record a lot of songs from our publishing company, me and some of our my writer buddies. And she would record country hits sometimes and make make you know R and B hits out of them. And so I was lucky enough to get about four or five cuts on Millie Jackson's record. Huh. And I love her hearing up. her voice because I always like Gladys Knight was one of my favorite oh, yeah. singers. Well, she's just like, I mean, not saying she's like this, she's different, but she's as good as and in that same uh, uh, genre of caliber, music. Yeah. yeah, caliber, same caliber, just incredible uh, singer. And I'd love to meet her someday. So that's her song that's playing at the beginning. Is that what it is? Yeah, I had a song that uh, one of those, I had three chart, fairly decent chart records before Golden Ring. One of them was a song by Barbara Fairchild called Cheatin' Is. And I'm thinking, I can't remember. It seemed like maybe it went to 12 or 15 or 18 Mm -hmm. or something like that. And um, Millie Jackson covered it. And made a reggae version out of it. Wow. And I only just found out, like in this past year, that the band playing on it were the Muscle Shoals Sound Guys. Oh, the Swampers. Who, the Swampers, who I've always been a huge fan of. And I, oh, yeah. And I met and knew Barry Beckett a little bit. Okay. And I've met some of the other guys, David Hood, and some of those guys just in passing. You know, they, they would probably remember me, but... But I've been huge fans of theirs forever. But they played on her record of Cheatin' Is. Wow. And so... Was it Cutting Shoals? It must have been must because have been, they yeah. didn't record anywhere else. I, though, I went to their, you know, the Jackson Highway uh, store. Not, it used to be, it looks like a store. Jackson Highway, their original studio. But then they, I think they had moved maybe to the armory armory yeah. and muscle shells by then maybe I don't I'm not sure but uh anyway um so um I was at a CSAC award dinner one night and 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 this friend of mine um uh came up to me uh Julie came up to me and said you've got a rap hit out and I went what she goes yeah you got a Rap hitting the charts. I went, nah, I don't think so. She's got your name on it. I said, well, it's a misprint because <laughs> I know I don't have a rap hit out. And she goes, well, look it up. It's on there. I saw it. And so then the head of their uh, R&B rap division was there, Aaron. I'm trying to remember his last name. And I asked him, I said, well, how would that be possible? And he goes, they probably sampled one of your songs. I went, that's it, because that was brand new. At that time, the sampling yeah. and using them was just starting to get in full okay. swing. And so that's what they did. They sampled a piece of it and then wrote a whole new song over top of it called I'm a Thug. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's Trick Daddy's second biggest song ever. Yeah, and you know what else I found out? <laughs> um, two days ago, I found out he's got a restaurant in Miami. Really? Yeah. And I'm trying to remember what what kind of restaurant. I'm, I want to say it's a chicken 
restaurant or something. But Trick Daddy's he's a now a restaurant owner and he's there a lot of the times too. So, so I, I imagine if you're ever down there, you're gonna be eating free. Well, uh, well, I don't know about that. Uh, he might be going, hey, you owe me some money, dude. I don't know. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> I don't know how that would work out. It might, might that might be a, the most expensive chicken I ever ate, or, or you know, he's probably cooked with a super nice guy. Well, I'm glad they worked <laughs> it out because for a long time, you know, it was a big thing where they weren't paying for licensing, and it turned into be a big. Uh, that's right. That's right. A lot of times people would sample a song and you wouldn't even know it. And I'll be honest with you, if they hadn't put my name on it, I would have never known it. Well, okay, so let me ask you that. So let's avoid figures, but did you get reimbursed well for it? I did. And I haven't. I don't keep up with what my statements total up to. I, I just look at them and throw them in the door. I mean, you, you're going to get what you get. And if you contest it, it's not going to really help you much. If you're a songwriter anyway, you know, an artist maybe. So you just get what you get. So thank it. you. So, <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I do know that, at, that I was, I had done a new deal at Sony, which was the old tree turned into yeah. Sony. And, um, and I think I was, I was just fresh into the deal, you know, and I think I maybe was in the hole or hadn't paid back yet because it was a new deal, about 250000 or something like that, and it paid all that back. Wow. So so it did pretty good for that. Well, let me ask you this. So, thank you. Thank you, Trick Daddy. Yeah. And by the <laughs> way, I much. think, what, what was let's let's plug Trick Daddy if you're in the Miami area. Yeah. What's, what was his, what's the name what's of his, his place? I saw the food oh, over Oh, I've there. got it on uh, Instagram, but I turned my phone off. I saw the food over there. It looked really good. Um, did you find it? I found it, Okay, yeah. yeah. Had, to, what's it called? I, I was looking over there. Is it called Trick pictures. Daddy's Chicken Shack or something? <laughs> it's um sun, something Sunday. I, let's see here. There you go. Miami Gardens. I know where that is. He had the pictures up. It looks good. Well, it's all Sunday's right. Sunday's Eatery. Hungry, it? Yeah. It's called Sunday's Eatery. Sunday's Eatery. Okay. Yeah. So I'll go check out Trick Daddy Sunday's Eatery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Uh, speaking of stealing, like within samples, I was listening to a video the other day. These people have been going on and on about some song, uh, comedians that have stolen songs. Yeah. Is, is, is song theft ever a thing with songwriters? You know what? Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, but sometimes it's accidental. Um, a friend of mine, Don Gant, used to say, "Yeah, he's got. He had a creative memory, which means he just his creativity came from remembering somebody else's creativity." You know. But yeah. um, the truth is, you know, there are people who will hear an idea and they'll love it so much they go. You know, we got to write that somehow, or let's write as close to it as we can, or let's, we got to use it somehow and get around, because you can't copyright a title. You know, if you have a, a great title, anybody can write it, mm -hmm. and there's nothing you can do about it. If they're on the melody and the words and a combination thereof, then, then you got to prove access to where they heard yours, mm -hmm. and then you might be able to work out something with them, but... But also, I've noticed, I used to pride myself into thinking that I, I didn't steal anybody's ideas or or get on if I knew about something, I didn't get near them. 
And I was doing it even while I was saying that. because <laughs> Just on accident. Just on accident. Because you hear songs, you hear things, it rattles around in your brain, and it comes out a month later or a year later, and you think you thought of it. But it's been inspired by something else quite often. So it got to where whenever I came up with something and it was really easy and it sounded like a big hit, real commercial, I thought, well, that's either a hit song or it's already been one, you know? So then I'd go try to research and, okay, this is too good for me to think of this. So I got to find out what I'm what I'm stepping on here, right. you know? Well, we are reaching a point where it's, there's so much creativity out there and there's so much work out there that it's all, yeah. you can always find something that's it, similar. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll use your example. Y'all were inspired by all my exes. Yeah. But created, well, a, great, that's right. created a great song for I Mark. wasn't thinking a Whitey song then. Yeah, and it doesn't diminish the value of it at all. It's just kind of in the same vein. Right. And to be honest with you, I wasn't really probably listening to country radio that much then. So I could have maybe never even heard Whitey's whole song as big a hit as his was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or maybe heard it once. But your brain takes pictures of everything. You know, yeah. Even what's going on in that ele elevator? Excuse me. So, you know, any anything that goes in is in there somewhere. Yeah, I know. I I know a producer, uh, Joe, our friend Joe. Uh, he was telling me one day they were at a stoplight, and he was with another songwriter. And this guy that was notorious for stealing people's titles and taking their own ideas and running off with them. Yep. There are people that are more like that than others. He pulled up at oh. the stoplight and he they he said, what have you guys been doing? They said, we've been writing. He goes, oh, really? What's, what's it called? And they just like, the guy just on the top, off the top of his head just came up with this crazy title, like Mo Better or something. I, I don't know what the title was. Yeah. And then the guy was like, oh, cool, and drove off. And they're like, I'm going to go write a song. Like They literally gave him the wrong song title to make him go steal yeah, the idea exactly. of some really dumb title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I have seen instances at like a writer's, open mic writer's nights yeah. in different places around town where – Back in the day before smartphones, people would have a little pad and they'd be writing stuff down. And now they'd just be like, everybody's looking at their phone, so you don't know what they're typing. Just Oh, that's a great idea. Just recording it right there. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I see people say they're scared to uh, play open mic sometimes because they don't know if they should give away. They want to impress whoever's in the crowd. That's right. But then they don't want to give the song away. That's right. And and I'm, I feel that. You know, I, I um, if I've got a new song that hasn't been recorded, you know, or something I'm just fresh off the, you know, fresh out of the factory and, you know, brand new. Um, and I'm happy with it. I won't play it live because I know if the title is good, if it's a good title and somebody loves it, I just know that feeling yeah. as a songwriter. You hear something that's so good and you know it may never see the light of day or I've just got to, I got to do my version of that, I got you know? You. Well, let me ask you one last question before we get out of here. You know, one of the reasons we call this Country Drive is we, we get excited when we have the opportunity to speak to someone like you, someone who's had hits over well, four, maybe five decades, a long, remarkable career. You've been a studio musician. You've been a producer. You've been a songwriter. So obviously you can offer some advice to people on what it takes to not just have that one moment, that one big hit, but really enjoy a long, remarkable career. So what is your advice to people on the drive it takes? Um, 
Well, I guess you have to be crazy enough to to want to do it outside of doing anything else, you know, because music business is the kind of thing where, you know, you could work for 10 or 15 years without getting paid, mm-hmm. 20 years without getting paid. Who is going to take a job like that? You know, nobody is going to stay with any job for 10 or 15 years without a paycheck. But in the music business, that's kind of what you have to do because you got to come up with the goods first to present it. And the other thing I would say is that in the beginning, the hardest thing for me to the, to wrap my brain around to get to another plateau of what what it needs to be is you can't just write something that's as good as what's on the radio. You have to really do something that's beyond that, that's exceptional to get people's attention. So, or at least you have to try to be do something exceptional that's going to get noticed because there's so many people and so many people who are really good now. Mm-hmm. I mean, singers, they're some of the best singers I've ever heard in my life now, and they're like 19 years old, mm-hmm. you know, amazing. And writers too, talented guitar players, it's unbelievable. You could put a band together of 10-year-olds now from YouTube that would blow your mind, you know. But, I've seen it. Yeah, have you ever seen those? I've seen the individual players. Yeah. Have you ever seen a band of all yeah, those people playing together? There's really? like four or five kids. Yeah, and they're like some of them are one family, and they're just unreal. Yeah, it's just mind blowing. So you know, and you have to do something that's got something extra to it just to get people's attention. You know, that's the hardest part, I think. And and then the hardest part these days is you have to also be a promotion person and a and a social media person, I'm horrible at that. I'm the worst self-promoting person in the world. I'm a hermit, you know? So if I was coming to town now to try and make it, I'd probably run away because I, I had the help of publishers that encouraged me, producers that encouraged me. And then my public, first publishing company, we had an army of four or five people at any given time pitching songs. So you had a sales force out there going out there every day try to get your songs cut. And you had artists and producers who were looking for outside songs. Now it's all in-house. If you're not in that club, what do you do? You got to get 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 in, get a club of activity or get in one that turns into one of those. So it's, it's a lot harder, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah, you hear, you hear people talk about if you're looking for a record deal, one of the first things people, the people the label will do is go to your social media. That's right. To see how many followers you have. Yeah. To see if you're worth the risk yet. Yeah. If you don't so, have something that has a million views, it's like, eh, I don't know. It's crazy. It's unreal. And, and you know, the same people, some people are good at all those things, self-promotion and marketing and creativity and writing and producing and whatever. But some people who are really good creative people or singers or whatever are horrible promotion people. Right. You know, the worst. Okay, so uh, there there could be a lot of undiscovered talent that won't get a shot because they don't they can't get themselves together to and it and it's social media, it's an everyday job. It's not something you can just dabble with it on the weekends. You got to stay after it, and you got to keep your numbers up, and it's a lot of work. And you don't even have you don't even have a real connection with everyone that's following you. That's right. You know that's true. Compared yeah. to like going to a concert and you know getting that's to right. see the faces, half yeah. of them are probably bots. Yeah, 
That's right. And exactly. And if you if you can sing great and perform your songs and write great songs, that helps because you can go out and just play. Yeah. Right. And get a following like that. But if you can't do that, if you're just a writer, you know. And we live in the age of instant gratification where someone doesn't want to build it brick by brick. They just want to get that big boom, which is why we like talking to people about you, about what it takes to really not just have your 15 minutes, enjoy a long, remarkable career. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, do you have any shows coming up? Anything we want to promote? Uh, I actually have uh, a show coming up at the Franklin Theater on April the 16th. Oh, okay. Is that uh, on your website? It should be, but it's probably not because I'm terrible with social media. <laughs> <laughs> there there I am. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's not on there. I don't have any of my gigs on there, I don't think. Um, in fact, it's not even listed on the Franklin Theater um, thing yet. I was checking on there the other day. They said they're in the process of putting it up. They have a songwriter series. Okay. There they do one a month. Okay. And, um, and you yeah. said that was April 17th? April 16th, April 16th, and it's with uh, Kent Blazy and my two good buddies, Kent Blazy and Gary Nicholson. Okay. And so, two great songwriters. So we'll all have a lot of fun. We got They all have a lot of fun songs. and Kent did a lot of amazing stuff with Garth. Yeah, he yeah. did. And, and, and we're all playing. It's not totally electrified like rock band stuff but we all play electric instruments through amps and stuff. oh cool so we're gonna be it'll be like a little put together band where we'll be awesome supporting each other and playing together and all that so well, it should I might be come see that it'll be a lot of fun all right well listen man it means the world to me that you you know you made the time i know people's well, time is valuable oh but... you kidding man thank you for inviting me this is great yeah thank no you. it's really great to listen to you and learn from you and I really appreciate you being here. And that's about it for another Country Drive. Thanks, Taylor. Thank you for having us. Thank Have you, Rafe. It means the world to me. Bye, y'all.